0: Erlon, I will never forget it.
1: Ear Hustle, stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it.
0: Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your
2: podcasts.
0: From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look, and I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program... Latino households in the U.S. earn just half the income as their white counterparts. And the Federal Reserve says that wealth gap is still growing. Well, we'll talk solutions with the head of the Georgia Hispanic Chamber of Commerce in just a moment. Plus, Dental Town and their now 10th annual day of caring that provides free dental care and screenings to those in need. We'll have that and much more. That's just ahead. But first, this Georgia has reached the two million mark. That is, 2 million Georgians have officially voted early. According to the Secretary of State's office, that 2 million mark was reached Wednesday. And Georgia, of course, has had record turnout since the first day of early voting. And those numbers nearly doubled compared to the first day of early voting back in 2018. As for the president's election back in 2020, because we're still talking about it, those looking to overturn Georgia's results back then wanted U.S. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas to be a key part of the effort. It's all detailed in emails reported by the news outlet Politico, as we hear from Christopher
1: Austin. The emails came out as part of the congressional investigation into the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. Those emails from December 2020 show the lawyers discussing ways to delay the certification of results in Georgia after President Biden won by a narrow margin. One lawyer suggested that a petition to Thomas could, in his words, end up being key here. The lawyers said they planned to frame the case in a way that would appeal to Thomas as the justice who handles emergency appeals for Georgia. In the end, the Supreme Court wound up rejecting multiple Republican requests to intervene in the election and undo the results. Christopher Alston, WABE News.
0: In other news, Georgia COVID-19 cases are continuing an upward climb again this week, and that's leading to health officials warning of a potential simultaneous surge in COVID, flu and other viruses Over the winter holidays, Jess Mador has more. The Atlanta-based CDC is reporting early spikes in seasonal flu activity, with Georgia and the Southeast counted as hotspots. Confirmed COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations are also up in the state, and health officials are urging everyone to get vaccinated for COVID and the flu as soon as possible. This year, another big
1: concern is the common respiratory illness, RSV, RSV cases dropped during earlier phases of the pandemic. Now with COVID restrictions
0: easing, RSV cases are rising fast and babies, older adults
1: and other vulnerable people are at high risk. Without a vaccine, tried and true prevention methods for RSV include staying home if you're sick, washing your
0: hands and disinfecting surfaces. Jess Mador, WABE News. Early education advocates say politicians need to focus on finding permanent funding sources for early learning. Myra Sabor runs a child care center in East Point, and she spoke at an event calling on candidates in battleground states like Georgia today to do more. We want you, our candidates, to include us and count us in as stakeholders. We matter. We matter. This is our livelihood, and we want to be treated as though our input counts. Advocates say a permanent funding source is needed because parent tuition isn't enough to pay the bills for most centers. Federal legislation that would have provided funding for three- and four-year-olds passed the U.S. House last year, but stalled in the Senate. Finally, the number one college football team in the country will be playing in Athens this Saturday, but it's not UGA. Sorry, dog fans, don't. Don't send me an email. It's Tennessee due to that because the latest college football playoff poll, which is undefeated, Tennessee is undefeated, and they beat Alabama this year. So guess what? The college football playoff poll has ranked the Vols number one, Ohio State number two, Georgia number three, and Clemson fourth. Now, the poll will probably change each week, and certainly after this Saturday when Georgia does play Tennessee. Now, Georgia head coach Kirby Smart says the game is big, but while the team is on the field, he wants the fans to be that 12th player.
1: And our guys are excited and looking forward to a top matchup um, in Sanford Stadium. I know uh, our fan base will be loud and proud. I want to challenge our fan base to be, I mean, everybody talks about the Notre Dame game, but we want it to be louder than that. We want it to be there earlier than that. We had some great matchups last year here at home, and I thought they really affected uh, the game. Um, Each time we had a big matchup, so we'll need them again and uh, need them to be ready to go.
0: My prediction, Georgia 38, Tennessee 35. Definitely a big game. (laughs) Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. And Closer Look continues from WABE here in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Take a moment and listen to these figures. Now, back in 2000, there were about 35.7 million Latinos in the United States. By 2010, that population grew 42% to 50.5 million. From then to 2020, the Latino population grew an additional 23% from that 50.5 million to 62.1 million. Now I'm not a math person, so I looked it up. That measures out to Latinos accounting for 18.7 percent of the current U.S. population. But when it comes to closing the wealth gap between Latina households and their white counterparts, well, there are some systemic barriers that still exist. And join me now to talk about this and other issues is Veronica Veronica Maldonado Torres. This year, she was appointed president and CEO of the Georgia Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. We First met a few weeks ago, so welcome. Good to see you again. Thank you, Rose. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Excited. Let's begin with that population growth of Latinos here in Georgia, not just in the United States, but here in Georgia, because this is also tied to you all. You're 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 one of the largest Hispanic chambers in the United States. Yes,
3: yes, we have about a thousand members and growing. Uh, actually, just this past month, we added 54 new members, so we've seen some astronomical growth um, in the last year and a half that I've been at the chamber and leading it now. And, you know, what, what we're experiencing, uh, I, I would say, since, you know, my family came here in the early 80s from mm-hmm. Cartagena, Colombia. And, you know, after the 96 Olympics or right before, you know, the workforce that was brought in and the opportunity to build Atlanta and get it ready for the Olympics, you know, I think just unleashed the gates of the possibilities of work and what's possible here in Georgia.
0: What brought your parents to the U.S. and to here in Georgia?
3: Definitely opportunity. Um, you know, in in the '80s, Colombia was going through a very difficult drug war and a lot of uh, strife within within the country. And you know, they were very young. My mom was eighteen. My dad was twenty-one. Um, they were babies. They themselves. were babies. I, I shared it the other day, uh, but you know, my mom got married, uh, graduated on a Wednesday, got married on a Friday, and moved to the United States on a Sunday. All in the same week and you know they came here for a better life a better way opportunity and um, actually during that time my my uncle Gus my great uncle Gus was the mayor of Cartagena. That was a long time ago, mm-hmm. and so he had a lot of relationships from uh, in the United States with sister cities. So my family moved to Gainesville first, Gainesville, mm-hmm. Florida. Okay. So don't shoot me for being a gator. Uh, <laughs> I still Ooh. love. I, I love. I love Georgia in every way. But I. I mean, that's where I was born. <laughs> uh, and then you know, when I was four years old, we moved to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And again, it was there's job opportunities. You know, the 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 land of of Opportunities and possibilities and they were looking for work. My mother came here with a bilingual, you know, education. So she went to high school and um, college here, some college here. And, you know, my dad had very minimal uh, Mm -hmm. English. So they had to learn how to navigate the American system, uh, you know, learn the language, and um, learn the customs, ways, and, and the systems mm-hmm. of what it is in the U.S., which is very different from mm-hmm. many of our countries.
0: Did you have any other family members also leave Columbia and go either here or to other parts of the nation?
3: Absolutely. So my parents came first to Gainesville, and then my grandmother and my grandfather, at the age of 40, not too far from where i am now uh they came here and brought their three other children uh and they came straight to atlanta wow and so that was maybe a a year or two after my mom and dad arrived to gainesville and then you know like many families rose um you know my my family in columbia had radio stations my grandfather came from a a family of radio stations and um a big record label called Discos Fuentes, mm-hmm. and my great my great grandfather got very ill. They had to sell almost everything to kind of save him, and unfortunately, they couldn't. But, you know, he was an entrepreneur there, having multiple businesses. They sold all their assets, you know, and came here to the United States. But it still wasn't enough to start something. Mm-hmm. So, like many families, they had to begin again, mm-hmm. uh, uh, working in a plastics factory by day, cleaning houses after construction build at night. Mm-hmm. And scraped up just enough money collectively to buy a franchise. Um, And back then it was a printing franchise, which is now in its 39th year. Um, And that's now being led by my mother. So I've seen, you know, the the immigrant story, the Mm -hmm. Latino story, and also the possibilities when you dream big. But what you got to do to get there, which is learn, learn the ropes.
0: How much of their journey... Has been an influence on what you've been able to do in your career thus far.
3: Rose, I mean, it's it's in every fiber of me, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, growing up uh, after school, going to our family business and, uh, you know, seeing my mom, my grandmother, my grandfather, my uncle, my aunt uh, working in this family business and trying to find a way, you know, uh, learning how to work with the pressman in the back and doing cold calling or visiting folks, um, but also the days where you didn't know if you could make payroll, you know, or the days where you kind of didn't, didn't give yourself pay so that you could mm-hmm. pay employees and getting to the point where you knew you had to staff up. So all the toil and turmoil, that is... That is what I live every day, and it, and it actually is uh, part of the reason why I feel so passionate about the work I do do today to help small businesses. And
0: when we talk about then this this wealth gap, you know, we were all together mm-hmm. just a few weeks ago. And we all talked about, you know, what needs to happen, what needs to be addressed when talking about this wealth gap, because there are some overall systemic challenges. And then you mentioned there are some challenges perhaps specific to the Latino community. Absolutely. And I want to go over some of those with you, because you you also, you mentioned health, you mentioned education, Mm -hmm. and you you mentioned a pathway in terms of entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. But of those three, which one do you want to start with? Which one is key when you talk about health or education or the pathway to for entrepreneurship like your family? Where do you think we begin in addressing this wealth gap, or it may not be any of those?
3: Well, I, you know, I think education is a big one, and and I I wouldn't say it's you know uh, just a higher education. I say it's education of navigating a system here and understanding where to go to get the resources that you need to navigate. Mm -hmm. Um, When I think about, you know, the pandemic truly exposed the inequities, both in our black and brown communities Mm -hmm. and how health, education and access, you know, uh, either uh, propel us forward or keep us back. And so we're seeing in zip codes where we don't have, uh, you know, food close by or, uh, uh, you know, Uh, you know, we're living in in certain poverty areas that don't allow for access Mm -hmm. uh, to capital based on where you're living. There's so much of that that kind of compounds into our possibilities of success. Now, what I will tell you, Mm -hmm. because I can't sit here and say what I do know that that is 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 within our spirit as a Hispanic and Latino community and culture and something that I have seen and witnessed and adopted not only within my own family, but other families. And studies have now come out within the pandemic saying that the resiliency of the Hispanic community has will continue to propel us to find a way despite
0: those barriers. Okay, but so you can understand this, too, because they've said that about black folk, too. Sure. But then the question is, all right, but. We shouldn't have to have this resiliency. We should be able to access, have sure. access, not the barriers. Absolutely. When, when you talk to folks who are wanting to start a business or they're wanting to know, listen, wh- how can I do what your parents did? Is capital the major, the major barrier for them in trying to get a business started? or What are you hearing?
3: Yeah. No, I mean, capital is definitely an issue. I mean, we saw, I think it was one point five two percent or something of access to capital is given to black and brown communities and many times lower for the Hispanic community. Um, you know, understanding the banking system and how to even go that route, um, having access to more micro grants or smaller level lo- mm-hmm. loans to kind of get up and go. Um, it, we've had to bootstrap businesses. And for many of us, Um, And I'll also say whether, um, you know, you've got you're you're here with all your documentation or not, you know, that there's a there's a pathway and an opportunity. And there's Mm -hmm. barriers that limit us from getting that access and flexibility. Entrepreneurship allows us to have the flexibility to make our way and own our own future, regardless of what our status is. But it doesn't make it easy. Doesn't make it easy. And is
0: that the key? Because I don't know if anyone has the answer. How do you close the wealth gap between white you know, whites and blacks and latinos and, and is there's no well one solution though sure and but when you're taking a look
3: you know uh, finances are not necessarily something that we talk about in our families i think there needs to be yes education on personal finance you know um, managing your own personal finances so that you can manage the finances of the company that you want to run mm-hmm. we need more financial education that's why we're seeing a lot more on financial literacy that we're seeing in many communities as well because we understand that that education is key to creating the pathway of opportunity so i would say more financial awareness and and I'm grateful to to see many organizations stepping up to ensure that that
0: access is possible right now. Right now. You've come in, you were appointed this year. Have a year said, and a half. A year and a half? It's a year and a half now. So are you also looking at bringing in some new initiatives? Yeah. Or Are you sort of having to dissect what, what your organization is doing well and not doing well?
3: Yeah so you know when I came in I was like okay what, what are we gonna do or you know in this pandemic um we need to reimagine the next for our business community and what our community like? in general right and mm-hmm. for when we took a look at it and we we're like this is advocacy this is access this is opportunity this is connection I believe if we can hit these pillars we can find a way to make economically sustainable businesses, which is what we want. We want businesses to open, stay open and grow. Part of that initiative has come in um, the innovation and technology space. So we just uh, completed a a 200 person study on um, tech usage for um, Latino businesses Mm -hmm. and what's impeding them from leveraging the tools that exist. Because we also see the digital divide. Mm -hmm. And so we've launched an initiative called Revolucion Digital, Digital Revolution, which is one of our main initiatives. Apart from doing legislative advocacy Mm -hmm. and business development opportunities so we can create networks and community building and pipeline development and leadership development, which we do, we have a full force 501c3 nonprofit arm um, that's called the Georgia Hispanic Business Center.
0: I was speaking to a representative from Visa not too long ago because they have an initiative where they want to get 1,000 households in the Atlanta region mm-hmm. just connected because the, the digital divide. And and she was talking about how it du- directly correlates with poverty for some people. Mm-hmm. You know, you can you can have access to so much information online, but if you can't even get connected, mm-hmm. if you don't have the broadband or, you know, Google Fiber or whatever – that right there is a barrier, and we know it's a barrier in the rural communities.
3: Yeah, and we so the the study that we that we conducted with um, our uh, nonprofit partner called Build Justly, and we're in the second iteration of that now. But what we discovered is that when you have um, a household that just has one device, like a cell phone, mm-hmm. and you have multiple devices, you see the annual income of that family increase mm-hmm. by three times. So. We need to make sure that our community has broadband access, which we saw impacted as well our kids from education, right? Um, our uh, Latina entrepreneurs that are starting businesses six times faster than the average group, mm-hmm. you know, that increase is 87%. It's significant. So making sure that they can do business online, get access to the resources and the education to continue on that continuum of mm-hmm. entrepreneurship, which is Never-ending, but just basic banking online and all. There's uh, there's so much there that we need to mm-hmm. unpack and unplug. Um, but the study is showing us why and how they're using technology, and it's providing us with the insights to develop programs so that we can uh, minimize that gap today.
0: You mentioned policy. You know, what or how are you all able to then have some input in terms of either whether state or local, you know, legislation, I mean, do you have a pretty good relationship with the General Assembly? And, you know, I think you may have a, I could be wrong, I think you may have a little bit of higher percentage in terms of Latino representation in the General Assembly. You want it to be more obviously cuz we do too we want more diverse Definitely lawmakers want more right that's what we say that's Absolutely. what we say here comes an email rose yeah. don't be lobby you. <laughs> uh,
3: you know we uh, it's important for us to see ourselves reflected in places where policy is taking shape and be able to advocate on our communities where we need to be able to bring the unseen mm-hmm. to be seen. And so, yes, we obviously have a legislative advocacy um, component. Um, we were actually uh, very much a part of the supplier diversity <clears throat> legislation that was um that was uh, signed into order uh, this past legislative session um, to bring more supplier diversity efforts for minority businesses to the mm-hmm. state of Georgia. Um, but our focus has also been on, you know, ensuring that our businesses have access to mental health, and you know, that's a huge one. You know, entrepreneurs and business owners struggle significantly with mental health, and uh, we need to be able to bring those resources to the table and provide internship opportunities as well and uh, uh, opportunities so that our businesses have a viable workforce. So we are very engaged in making sure that our legislative agenda and priorities are um, being worked on and that we are advocating on behalf of our business community to create pro-business policies that don't exclude us Mm -hmm. um, but that we are also championing um, and opening the gateway for contractual opportunities because that's really what drove me to be here rose is seeing that only two percent of hispanic businesses nationwide surpass a million dollars in annual revenue yeah and 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 and, and folks may not know two percent but prior to my role here I led the nation's first state-sponsored mentor-protege program called the Georgia Mentor-Protege. That program only worked with million to $30 million businesses to help them scale with major corporations. So here I was coming from 10 years, you know, working mm-hmm. in just that million-dollar market and and, and and above to help them scale to half a billion dollars in annual revenue. And then, you know, coming over and spending more time double clicking on, you know, the Hispanic community, that's not to say we don't have businesses. We do. We've got amazing companies in construction and hospitality and communications that are multi million dollar businesses, but it made me ask the question. If I've been working the last ten years mm-hmm. <laughs> with one to thirty million, why is the Hispanic community only two percent achieving a million dollars in annual revenue? So when we talk about access and equity and wealth creation, I'm like, where's the barrier here? Yeah. How do we deconstruct that? And it comes down to, a, you know, a few things: navigating and understanding the system. Mm-hmm. Where are the access to opportunities? Where are the resources? Do they have? Do Hispanic businesses have their books in order, their financial statements? statements 3 years of that are they um you know um are they uh, solid in that arena, which you know impeded some, number one, from getting access to funding when we had it, right? And number two was having access to the network and to the professional that could help them navigate that.
0: And then the other one is
3: contracts. Right. So where are we not playing in the contractual
0: uh, component? Well, and that's a, a long systemic it is. <laughs> challenge in this nation. If you just joining us, I'm in conversation with Veronica, Veronica Maldonado Torres. She is the president and CEO of the Georgia Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. Let's talk about That because some folks, you know, they don't want to realize or they want to acknowledge that there are these systemic challenges here in 2022 that started decades, decades ago. We're still dealing with this, which is part of the problem. We talk about barriers. So you just laid it out perfectly in terms of why is this a barrier? There's this access, and then okay, so then now what do you do? Do you have to have Separate conversations with banking institutions. Do you try to come up with different types of incubators? And there are some small business incub- incubators out there, but they can't help everybody. Right. And
3: and we have several programs that we've launched. You know, we have um, a, the Jefa League that we just launched for Latino women. And, you know, they leave with a business canvas. Which is the growing
0: number of yeah. folks starting small businesses in this nation. Absolutely, yeah. Followed by black women.
3: That's right. That's right. So, you know, we, we have um, Escalar, which we launched to be able to share with. our Hispanic businesses how do you scale you know how do you scale and and do business with corporations if that's a route for you how do you work with procurement at the local state and federal level Mm -hmm. what does that look like how do I prepare myself for that and for some it's not even an option so how are we helping Main Street businesses right because we also need to recognize that not every business is gonna go that route Mm -hmm. how do we help create wealth in where they are at and helping them expand
0: their opportunities. Part of that, too. And that's where we're going. Part of that, too, Veronica, as you know, though, is not just starting the business, staying in business,
3: sustaining it. And that's what, that's been my goal, Rose. You know, when it came in, it was like, how do we create economically sustainable businesses for the long term? Because if we can do that, they can then create jobs. So how do we and do we that? And we can impact communities. <laughs> and that that yeah. is a myriad of, of, yeah. of uh, that's a, um, It's a compounded effort Mm -hmm. with multiple, you know, uh, multiple layers of solution, making sure that they know for us in the Hispanic community how to navigate the system. Where to find the networks of opportunity, having access to capital
0: and and the banking institutions or other options that may help so, them. So, banking institutions, and we've had them on this program. They will launch a program. They'll send us a press release. Hey, Rose, we're launching the this program that's solely targeting Black and Brown folks or or, or women or, or veterans, and then we we bring them on the air and we talk about it, and then we don't get we try to get updates, and they're like, oh, the the data hasn't come back. You know, it, it, it's fine to have to say you've launched these programs, but how do we make sure how do you all make sure yeah. that these these programs, these initiatives are meeting what they say? Because some because look, let's be really clear, Veronica. And I've said it before. T- during 2020, with everything that was going on, everybody became, quote unquote, woke mm-hmm. and everybody started looking at themselves and sort of analyzing what are we doing to be part of the problem or part of the solutions. Folks started DEI programs. Folks came up with all these initiatives targeting black and brown folks and and people from underserved communities. And then now here we are still having the same conversation.
3: Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I'll tell you because I was in the supplier diversity world and still am, you know, with uh, corporate and now looking at local, state, and federal procurement opportunities. And it is a lot to... I am grateful that it woke people up because a lot of these supplier diversity professionals have to win the internal business units within their organizations to be able to bring diverse suppliers to the table Mm -hmm. and um, getting them uh, ready for those opportunities. And I think that it's shown a light and I think it's been great, but we need to continue to move the needle forward and now that it's here we need to not go back into the checking of boxes um, so that we can truly make an economic impact and a multiplier effect in our communities so to your point um what we're doing at the Georgia Hispanic Chamber. You know, mm-hmm. we're a, both a membership-based organization on our Chamber of Commerce side and then we've got our 501c3 with our Hispanic Business Center, which we won a congressional direct spend fund mm-hmm. um, to be able to provide technical support to our Hispanic businesses. And, I, and we also um, have just won uh, with Invest Atlanta the opportunity to educate our business community about the loans that exist for them and taking them hand by hand. And I think that's really what it takes it's it's lovely when we're laying out all these programs Mm -hmm. rose but just like starting a business there's so many different components of running a business that it can become extremely overwhelming mentorship consulting technical assistance that those wraparound services are what's going to create the whole opportunity to help our businesses move forward
0: then how do we make sure we're connecting this success, whether it's, and we're talking about Latinos to so Latinos, but we also, I think, can attribute this to the black businesses, how are we also making sure that this is directly affecting the poverty rate? Because if you have a, a high percentage of folks, black and brown folks, living below or at the poverty level, you know, there's still this disconnect. So how do you, you connect the businesses to be a part of, you know, dealing with that, you know, addressing poverty? Because that's a big part of it.
3: I think that's a, you know, I think a a lot of us get into entrepreneurship if we have the tools available to us to be able to, you you know, we've seen the studies talking about the side hustles that exist, right, Mm -hmm. To, to make up for the lack of funding that they have through their normal channels. I think that's kind of the way of the now with what we're seeing with affordability. Um, you know, I, I think there is a call to action for us to continue to um, raise the voice about what's possible and what we need to do to minimize those gaps. You know, right now we're living in a tough time. You know, there's high rates of, of just basic needs that a, that a business needs with margins, with affordability. So I think that it's a I don't I don't have the, the I don't right. have the bullet answer you, for that but I think it takes a community effort to see it from all angles so that we can address the the issues that exist.
0: You encourage or you all
3: talk about And policy. Well policy. And, and, and I think we also need to well, for- ab- apologies but we need to take a look at what our core values are. You know, when you take a look at our country, and and don't get me wrong, I'm all for making sure that we, we you put your effort in and you get your gains. But I think there is also a component where we need to be mindful of our core values. We are based on growth. Everything that we see is based on growth. Well... So how do we as a society measure and i think it's a it's a soul conversation mm-hmm. about what matters let's say for the city of atlanta or others you know where is the soul here while we continue to allow folks to make a living but support make, the opportunities make a living and yeah. we
0: talked about this uh, when we were all together in that that wealth equity uh, forum for example you can't tell businesses how much to pay their Employees, right? But you can suggest because, because uh, look, it it, it costs a lot to live in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, we talk about housing. Sure. So, while the state may or without while there's a federal minimum wage, and if a business can do it, you are encouraging them to please look at can you afford to pay a a healthy hourly or sal- or salary for your employees because that goes back into the community. Yeah. I have my thoughts on that.
3: And, um, you know, I, I I think that, again, with a focus that we need with the digital skills and the skill sets divide that we're seeing, that if we can incentivize and support businesses, you know, with monies uh, that encourage them to get you know, basically workforce development opportunity for their current Mm -hmm. staff to reskill, then they can, it makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. But there's got to be a program. And that's what we were talking about, you know, with uh, Raphael and um, that, you know, I think there's an innovative solution that we may not have really talked about Mm -hmm. of how do we incentivize and support our businesses if we want to see an increase. We also need to make sure that there is a skill set up, uptick that
0: we're going to need as a society. So it's a
3: path. because, and, it, and I think it's hand in hand.
0: Right. If we're talking about affordable housing, why people can't afford $1,800 for a one-bedroom, okay, let's look at why can't they afford that? Perhaps where they work, how much they're working, can they get to better paying jobs, and you got transit and mobility, those type of issues as well. Uh, within the next, what are, you, what are you hoping your organization, the Georgia Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, what are you hoping you all will be able to assess and see some growth and effectiveness in these in, in your programs. Is it a year? Is it two years from now? Do, do you still want to be head of the chamber?
3: <laughs> I want to be doing purpose work, Rose. You know, I think purpose work is where my heart is at. And, and for me, it's always been in business. Um, as I mentioned, I carry my family and there's so many families like my family that simply just want, to dream the american dream and it's through entrepreneurship and, and owning their own future um, what do i want to see you know my experience in, in leading the georgia mentor protege program prior you know in that education in that building in mm-hmm. that mentorship in that consulting um, allowed me to see that though the fruits of those efforts were not immediate the knowledge base increased But the impact from a financial revenue standpoint happened maybe two to three years after. So I believe that we are sowing the seeds of what we are going to see for the future. And I'm working and and our our board of directors, our staff, our community, we are working on planting one seed at a time and nourishing and flourishing and giving that all so that it can become sustainable. So of our five programs, wherever you are in Mm -hmm. the continue or life cycle of your business, whether you're a micro business business or you're a more established business you know we're seeing a huge focus on the 300k uh, to be able to get to a 100k right now so we've been focusing right
0: isn't that a lot for some businesses that 300k it is it is
3: a lot we've got a program for each place that you are at I want to see us move up the ladder that's what I want to see and I want to see more multi-million dollar Hispanic businesses coming from the state of Georgia okay because two percent Just ain't enough. All right,
0: well, look, don't get me started on the percentage for black folks, (laughs) black business. But
3: But we can do that together, Rose, and that's something that- Perhaps that's the problem, too, folks
0: don't do folks' partnerships. But I want to get this question from a listener who says, do you have programs for the youth- we are working on that. We don't currently have programs with you. What
3: we do actually, what we do have is we've got two initiatives um, because one of our pillars is leadership development and professional development. And we've got a group called um, HYPE, Hispanic Young Professionals and Entrepreneurs. They do a lot of really cool things. Um, shout out to Alex Villanueva and, and Ana Camila, who um, lead our, our HYPE group. Um, and so we are working on professional development and entrepreneurship skill set. But we're, we're not on the youth piece yet. Yeah. What we are is being active in having conversations about bringing entrepreneurship education into our schools. We got to reach K them. through twelve. Because right. let me tell you, when you look at the numbers of who uh, uh, employs folks and, and what we have here in the state of Georgia, we are in the ninety percentile of small business.
0: So more than likely, our children will be in entrepreneurship. Well, we got to reach them so that they make better choices, so they have the mindset to make the best choice and not the other choices that some of our youth are getting involved in so that is key president and ceo of the georgia hispanic chamber of commerce veronica maldonado torres thank you so much for coming and taking the time i really appreciate it. i got somebody who says they need a loan I'm like, y'all, y'all need to stop y'all heard what she said you can call <laughs> us we do
3: grants and 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 we've got lots of opportunities and resources to help connect you to the right vehicles for you thank you so much rose it's a pleasure to be here today same here
0: Closer look. We'll continue in just a moment. Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens took to social media Wednesday to address the shooting death of Migos member Takeoff. Kirshner Kahari Ball, known professionally as Takeoff, was shot and killed early Tuesday morning in Houston. Now, the hip-hop trio also includes Quavo, Take- Takeoff's uncle, and his cousin Offset. Quavo was also among those attending a private party when the shooting occurred. In the Instagram post, Mayor Dickens says he's spoken to Houston's mayor and Atlanta's police chief about the the investigation and he wanted to reach out to Quavo. He also took time to talk about the effects of social media in the aftermath of a tragedy and for the public to not shift blame, as he sees it, on the hip-hop culture.
1: I do not believe that hip-hop equals violence. Um, I grew up on the music. I am still into the music um, and I can discern and make quality decisions about what I do and what I don't do. And so I think that some of the things we should be pointing at is individuals that want to film, uh, you know, a- any and everything. There's internet videos of take-offs body, people uh, screaming in the background. I'm thinking, why are you doing this just for likes and for Uh, followers. Uh, This is the same with school fights, the same with arguments and uh, just, you know, car, uh, you know, street racing and donuts and stuff, just filming anything just to get some likes and attention. You know, what I'm hoping for is that we pay attention to what's going on. There's too many guns out here in our communities and guns plus mad people being mad equals uh, bad outcomes.
0: And Mayor Dickens also went on to share his reflections on Takeoff and called on the city to work toward change in honor of him.
1: In the essence of a young man like Takeoff, only 28 years old, a humble, good family dude. um, You know, somebody who's, like I said, introspective, uh, you know, he's versatile and gives good lyrics, but he's also thoughtful. We need to live in that peace, go forward living in that light. And so I'm asking us to stop the violence. I'm asking us to make sure that we look at ourselves as um, people that can advocate for peace and bring down the violence all around us. I do not think hip hop equals violence. What I do think is that hip hop has a voice that can change the world. As the headquarters of hip hop, Atlanta, Georgia, we're the headquarters for civil rights movement, human rights movement, everything TV, film, entertainment, music, culture is right here in Atlanta. So I want our Atlanta community to spread like wildfire to everybody across the nation in honor of Takeoff and his humility and his love and his passion and his love for his family. I want us to do something wonderful here and and in his honor, live with peace and spread love to everybody.
0: As of airtime, time, authorities have not identified a suspect or suspects. This is Closer Look. We're back in a moment. And Closer Look continues from WABE here in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. When it comes to identifying the social determinants of health we look at, A lot. Non-medical factors that influence health outcomes. So, for example, we're talking about the quality of life factors where folks are born, where they grow, work, live and age. We also have to add in circumstances and systems that directly influence one's conditions of daily life. We just talked about that. Some are many are systemic economic policies and systems. And it also applies to dental care right here in this nation. The cost of care, the cost of dental insurance and even finding a good provider. That can be a barrier for so many people, but now approaching its tenth year, Dental Town will take a day and provide free dental care for those in need. It's the Day of Caring, and it's scheduled to take place Saturday, November twelfth. You'll find out where in just a moment. I want to welcome in pediatric dentist, doc, dentist Dr. Michael Hansen.
2: Welcome to the program. Thank you so much. We're so grateful to be on the program today.
0: You know, when I was doing some research on this, and it it wasn't lost to me, but that for so many folks in this country, they put off symptoms like pain, uh, dry mouth, bleeding, changes in the appearance of their teeth, which can lead to severe or even moderate oral health problems. But they put it off because they simply can't afford to go to the dentist. That's not lost on you, Dr. Hansen.
2: No, it's sad. They say that um, across the United States that the second cause of school absences for children is dental uh, toothache. Mm
0: -hmm. I imagine you've had a situation where where patients have come in when it got just too severe, and you've probably asked them, well, why didn't you come in? They said, well, I I don't have coverage or I couldn't afford
2: it. Yeah, no, we, we do experience that for sure. We do, and it's really sad. So, so our goal was to help and to com- and to work with the community on how we can be a better assistant to the community.
0: And so, for those not familiar with Dental Town, you all have some you have several locations throughout this throughout the region, correct?
2: Correct. Yeah, we have six locations. Our first location, in fact, uh, tomorrow is our 16 year anniversary of our first location in Johns Creek that I started um, as a solo pediatric dental office. A couple of great uh, best friends joined with me, a general dentist, Uh, so now we see adults and and kids and an orthodontist. Um, And today, with six locations, we have pediatric dentistry, orthodontics, and oral surgery. So we can handle everything families need.
0: And so for the last nine years now, going into your 10th year, you have this Day of Caring.
2: Uh, Tell our folks what this is about. So um, we just wanted to have an opportunity to give back to the community, Um, and so Uh, Once a year, we take a day, and our team donates their time. Um, This last year, we had over 60 volunteers. Uh, We took care of about 126 patients and provided about $80,000 worth of treatment on that Saturday. And so that's something that we've chosen to do uh, as a one-time thing every year. But we also work with our schools. Um, We really have a great relationship with many of our our, uh, counties, and the school nurses, and so if there are um, particular, especially children that have issues throughout the school year, um, we try to get them into our into our offices and and take care of what their needs are.
0: And so on this this tenth annual day of of caring, you all are this time y'all going to be up in Forsyth, correct?
2: Yeah, we're at our Forsyth location, which is at um, the collection uh, four hundred and ten Peachtree Parkway um, in Cumming.
0: How do you all decide where to go? Because, as you know, for some, and we talked about this in the segment before, you know, transportation can be a barrier. So can anyone just come to Forsyth or do you have to be a resident of Forsyth?
2: Well, it's kind of a first come, first serve. And again, we work with a lot of community leaders as to who has a need. Mm -hmm. Um, We've always been a little bit hesitant to open things up real far to to a capacity that we can't care for um, as far as on that particular day. And so we have uh, families that, uh, you know, through the office, families that come to the office um, or, uh, again, some of the community leaders that will give us an idea of who needs help. And so then we start a schedule and we fill it up. So
0: typically, you know, over the years or throughout the years, are you just looking at maybe what, what's been the, I guess, a, a typical need? Has it been just cavities, just cleanings? Does it run, you know, the, the, the run the course? You've had a lot of folks that just need many different services.
2: You know what, really, we cover almost all of our services on this day of caring. So um, yeah, lots of cavities fixed, um, the occasional tooth that needs to be taken out, uh, cleanings. Uh, We have our hygienists that are volunteering. So we we really do almost everything across the board. Is it
0: possible for you all to, I know, you know, you do this every year, but when you think about the need, and, and obviously, you know, the more folks that could do this, the dental you know, uh, offices that could do this, that would be great. But have you all ever thought about doing it more than, you know, one day a year?
2: Yeah, so it, absolutely. And so um, usually, uh, uh, almost on a weekly basis, we will get a call from a school nurse and we will take care of individuals all throughout the year. Um, and so that's something that we strive to do in all of our locations. Again, we, we've got to be able to uh, feed our families and, and take care of our team members. And so sure. uh, we are, uh, you know, we are a business but um, we take great pride in that opportunity to care for those that have needs. Well, Dr. Ha- so we are, again, grateful for that, Dr. For that Haas- opportunity.
0: Dr. Hess, let me ask you this, because what, listen, not to get you all caught up in politics, but what does it say to you in terms of when you know that you all are trying to do the best you can? And there are other uh, dentist offices that do this as well, because I've had them on the program. But what does it say to you in terms of uh, perhaps some type of health, policy changes or, or what have you that, that need to be implemented for folks who just do not have this type of coverage and to, to get the, the help that they need?
2: Yeah, you know what, that is such a hard paradigm, and I wish I had solutions. Uh, to me, I, I, you know, I wish that everybody would just live the golden rule, um, you know, do unto others. Um, if we live the two great commandments, to love God and love our neighbors, um, that would solve so many solutions, so many problems in our world. And so I, it starts one at a time. And so you're right. We would invite all of our dental colleagues to to join a day of caring, um, to have a free dental day, um, to take take care of people as um, as the need arises. Do you also see
0: a a large group of folks coming in uh, from our seniors? I know you're you're a pediatric dentist, but I met or folks who you know our veterans who they're supposed to have some of the best health care. But are you seeing some uh, specific demographics of folks who are
2: coming in that you probably may not expect? You know, we see kind of a wide uh, a wide range, but I do think that, you know, on our senior side, there is a lack of dental um, affordability. Um, for our immigrants that are here uh, without health insurance, mm-hmm. um, we see a large need. Um, for a lot of the families that live here in Georgia and they are, um, you know, from the state, There are state insurances that that do help a lot of our families on the lower income level. That is a great, great blessing. Um, But, yeah, so for for those that really have no coverage, it's really those on the elderly side or the immigrant side that really struggle the most.
0: Let me ask you this because this year you all are also, you have a partnership with Lake Lanier Eye Care. How important is it for you then, you all, to provide? Perhaps get more part, get more partners, get more people to come on board because now you all will be able to provide free eye exams and glasses. And we know that there have been some programs that uh, come into school districts and they take a couple of days and, and they give free eye exams uh, for students.
2: Yeah, no, it's huge, huge, and so it's, and that's been the beauty of our growth as we've grown from our one little location 16 years ago to now having these six locations. Um, we're blessed to have close to 150 employees with us. So we feel like that sacred role of having employment opportunities, um, as we grow, it creates this greater opportunity for us to reach back more into the community and to do, and to do this type of care. And so, yes, yeah, so that has been a great blessing for us.
0: And I think you might have mentioned it, but I just want to get some clarity here because I'm interested. Do you have a rough estimate on the numbers of people who have shown up in the past years for this, this free dental day? Yeah, so
2: usually on that particular day, you know, we're roughly, uh, you know, last year, again, was about 126. Um, so usually we're around that about 100 patients, 100, maybe we could reach up to 150 patients um, with our current capacity. And so we need to, uh, you know, there's so much greater need than what that 100, those 150 patients are. Uh, and so I think you bring a great point. Um, let's recruit our friends and colleagues and join the, join the cause.
0: And I'm, I'm curious, too, because often we've said on this program, and it's been documented, when we talk about those who, who come from underserved communities needing these services, but also, too, when we talk about the face of poverty, it doesn't look like what people might imagine. You're seeing all types of folks, different households coming through that do not have, insured, they're either underinsured or uninsured for dental
2: care. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, in a lot of you know, in your last segment, you spoke about business owners it, it, having your own business and covering your own insurance is very tricky. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. hard, and so yeah. So it, I think those with greatest needs are sometimes some of the business owners that have that are underinsured for their families.
0: It's the day of caring and scheduled to take place Saturday, November twelfth. Correct, and this is in Forsyth. Correct. All right. Doctor, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Pediatric dentist, dentist, Dr. Michael Hansen, will have a link on our website to more information about this. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for what you all are doing to help so many people.
2: It's a small piece. We're grateful to be a part. Thank you for including us. All right.
0: And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Razell, and Pat St. Clair. Our engineer is Kevin Renker. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org, even if y'all send it at 3 in the morning. And if you missed any of today's show, it's online at wabe.org slash closerlook. And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 and in our podcast. So subscribe to wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. As always, I'm Rose Scott.